At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome in. Early week edition Hardwood Handicappers. we got a pretty good episode on tap. We have uh, some teams to discuss. Well, really one team as a whole in terms of what they've struggled to do up to this point of the season. We also have a look at the awards markets again. Uh, I think there are two candidates on the same team for two different awards that are emerging uh, that are very much worth discussing. One of them actually is 240 to 1 to win the award that we are doing to uh, discuss a little bit later today. So uh, before we get into all those, there's not a lot of news to get into in the world of the NBA, but we will start this show as we do every show with some of the top stories from around the league. Hardwood headlines. First one is going to be about the Washington Wizards, and it's actually very much worth expanding on what's going on with the Washington Wizards uh, because they've been playing some pretty good basketball. Washington five and two straight up, six and one against the spread in the month of November. And they have done this uh, largely without Bradley Beal. He was uh, has been in health and safety protocols, of course, because of COVID-19. He actually did clear protocol on Friday. We haven't seen him on the floor yet. I think Wednesday is probably going to be the best bet that we get him back. They were working on his conditioning. Uh, but the Wizards being able to do this without Beal uh, is a testament to kind of what this team was and what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. It's a team that is loaded with like some B-list talent. A bunch of guys on the roster who could serve really good roles, be it as starters, depending on the roster makeup of the team that we're talking about, or as bench players for any team in the NBA. But as a whole, this team has been very, very competitive. And it hasn't been the hardest schedule in the world that they have been rolling through here in the month of November. And I do think it's a lot of matchups that really work in the Wizards' favor. You know, we're talking about Memphis twice, Utah, Dallas, Charlotte, Brooklyn, and Philly. But what has really stood out about Washington that I think is very much worth discussing at this point right now, it's not so much their defense as a whole, although they are right now 11th in regular, we'll call it, defensive efficiency, 110.5 points allowed per 100 possessions. If you factor in uh, garbage time or non-garbage time, 
They're down to 14th in the NBA per cleaning the glass, 111.9. Effective field goal percentage allowed, fourth best in the NBA, according to cleaning the glass at 52.3. They don't force a bunch of turnovers, but what makes them so good are two things so far through these, what are we thinking, like 14 games? I think they're eight and six right now of the season. The first of which, and I think this is their biggest strength, they're rebounding, man. Their rebounding is absolutely phenomenal. In terms of defensive rebounding rate, they are the second best team in the NBA, uh, just behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. I shouldn't say just behind because the Cavaliers are such a good rebounding team. Uh, but a defensive rebounding rate of 74.4%, as I mentioned, uh, second best in the NBA, percentage points ahead of Milwaukee and Miami, but still tiebreaker in terms of percentage point goes to them. They're not the best offensive rebounding team by a mile. In fact, they're well you know, well into the bottom of the league. They're only 25th. But the way that they can snuff out opponent possessions and the way that they do not give up second-chance points has been tremendous for them in terms of you know, allowing them to stay not only in the upper half of defensive efficiency numbers, but it's allowed them to cover some of these numbers that we're talking about here. I mean, go back to their matchup with Utah just the other night, and I wrote about this in the uh, morning column, the one thing that was going to allow them to stick around in that matchup was keeping Utah off the offensive glass. It's one of the things that Washington does well. It's one of the things that Utah wants to do. Uh, I believe they still lead the league right now in offensive rebounding rate. I'll double check. Uh, no, Utah does not. They have sunk to fourth now, just a couple of percentage points behind the Houston Rockets. Uh, but this is a, one of the things that the Utah Jazz wanted to do, and the Washington Wizards kept them from doing it. And this is going to be, I think, a strength of theirs going forward. Kyle Kuzma and Kristaps Porzingis are two very, very good defensive rebounders. You even have some guards that rebound relatively well. Bradley Beal has been known to rebound somewhat effectively for a guy at his position, too. This is going to be, I think, a strength for the Washington Wizards as we kind of move on. Now, what's going to be interesting is if they can find their way into a play-in situation, if they can continue to kind of play in this regard throughout the remainder of the season, which I would say, unless they're going to start shipping guys off, they really could. And with Beal adding a little bit more on the offensive end of the floor, which is where they've kind of struggled up to this point, this is going to be a pretty plucky team right now. Their biggest weakness is that that offense, 110.3 points per 100 possessions average in non-garbage time. Beal will help improve that. They don't turn the ball over. Their eighth best turnover rate right now offensively at 13.9%. Uh, It's been really impressive to watch Washington to this early part of the season, and they're not going to go anywhere in terms of some of their strengths. And if they can snuff out opponent possessions, not allow second chance points, as we know, you know, offensive rebounds tend to lead to bigger points because, of course, those lead to open three point shots for the most part. But Washington has been really impressive, I think, so far. And it's worth mentioning as part of this headline as we're waiting for Bradley Beal to come back from health and safety protocol after missing about four or five games. But very much worth monitoring here for the Washington Wizards as we kind of move forward uh, when it comes to their play and the way that they've been covering numbers. Again, five and two straight up, six and one against the spread in the month of November. So with that, I mean, really, again, kind of quiet in terms of headlines right now. Uh, The other headline that really isn't worth expanding a ton on because some of the time has passed. But Cade Cunningham, of course, has a sore knee, uh, sore shin, I should say, not a sore knee. Uh, He was ruled a couple of days ago to have missed the next four games. At this point right now, as we record this on Monday, that would mean two more games for him, and then he'll be reevaluated, so we'll see if he's coming back. I would say that, you know, knee or shin soreness that won't go away for any reason uh, is somewhat troubling, and the Pistons do need him, especially on offense. Uh, But as we are halfway through the timeline there, um, it's worth mentioning, but not worth harping on. We'll see as the Pistons uh, move forward without him and really struggle on the offensive end of the floor. So. With that, I wanted to focus on kind of a a bigger topic here as part of today's uh, episode, 
And um, it's out on the East Coast, which, by the way, I, uh, I was out there for a little bit. That was a lot of fun. Jersey, man, from a betting standpoint, I, you know, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but it's great uh, what they offer in terms of, uh, you know, bonuses, things like that for sports betting. When you're a new name out there, there is some value tied to being a new name in a market like that. It was absolutely tremendous taking advantage of some of that. And uh, I actually, when I flew in on Wednesday, wanted to get down and see the New York Knicks take on the Brooklyn Nets at Barclays. But uh, plane was delayed, all that stuff. Couldn't get in on time. And Barclays a little bit farther away from Newark than I realized. So ultimately did not go. And it's a good thing because the Knicks got smoked. And uh, the Knicks getting smoked, especially defensively, that has kind of been the theme lately. And that's what I wanted to talk about here. The Knicks now 2-7-1 against the spread in their last 10 games after the loss to the Thunder on Sunday. A ridiculous affair where they give up 145 points. Their defense has completely fallen apart. During this 10-game stretch that I'm referencing, they've allowed 116.1 points per 100 possessions. On the season, Knicks are now 26th in non-garbage time defensive efficiency. They're giving up 115.1 points per 100 possessions for the year. And this is the thing that we've kind of seen with New York since Tom Thibodeau has gotten there, right? And we can talk about because, again, they are allowing, and for those who have followed my coverage for the last couple of seasons here at VSIN, this is one of the things that this has been a constant issue for the Knicks, uh, is the rate of wide-open three-point attempts that they are giving up. And the year that they made the postseason as a four-seed and lost to Atlanta, they were getting insanely lucky. Because of whatever whatever Thibodeau's scheme is, because I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of Thibodeau's scheme, um, they allege, I say they, like the New York Knicks, allege that they allow open shooters as part of the design, but they allow the right open shooters. Uh, but this has been a team that consistently, since Thibodeau's gotten there, has been in the bottom 10 in terms of wide open three-point attempts allowed. And again, on the season this year, part of the reason why their defense has struggled so much is the rate of wide open three-point attempts they are allowing per game. How about this? Uh, after that game on Sunday, opponents are generating 20.8 wide open three-point attempts per game, according to the NBA tracking data. That means that there is not a defender within six feet or more of that shooter. That is ridiculous. 20.8 wide open three-point attempts per game, according to the tracking data. And unlike past seasons, the Knicks are getting burned on those because their opponents are shooting 39.8% on those attempts. I mean, you look at Sunday, the Thunder, which ranked 26th in three-point shooting at 33.5%, went 17 of 31 from beyond the arc in their win on Sunday. It, the defense has been terrible. It has led to this 2-7-1 ATS stretch that we're talking about here. It has led to their overall struggles. And the, the question comes down to, right, like, what is the problem for the New York Knicks? And I think at this point right now, uh, as, as respected as he is, I think you're pointing to Tibbs and nobody else at this point right now for the New York Knicks. I mean, first off, the defensive issues that we're talking about here that have plagued them since Thibodeau has been there, the rate of wide open shooters that they allow, that is by design, and that design has to change at some point. And again, they're getting burned by it this year. Uh, once more, under Tom Thibodeau, their most used lineup is arguably their worst. Jalen Brunson, Evan Fournier, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. Robinson's been hurt with a knee issue, but that's their most used lineup so far this season. It has a negative 8.8 net rating, and it speaks to Thibodeau's usage of players and how inconsistent or how wrong he is at times. I mean, look at this. The two players who have played the most minutes for the New York Knicks as of Monday, Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett have efficiency differentials, which means how they improve uh, or worsen the net rating of their team when they're on the floor. 
Julius Randle, negative eight, meaning when Julius Randle's on the floor, uh, the net rating for the New York Knicks worsens by eight points per 100 possessions when he's out there. And R.J. Barrett, nowhere near as bad, but still a negative at negative 0.2. Those are the two players who have played the most minutes for New York this season. Meanwhile, you have guys like Obi Toppin, who has an efficiency differential of plus 3.6, a positive. He's been a positive since he's gotten there to the New York Knicks, and he's barely averaging 17.8 minutes per game. Meanwhile, Randall's getting 34, and his rotations, Thibodeau, are, are wildly inconsistent. Remember, Quentin Grimes in the offseason, remember when the Knicks were talking about Donovan Mitchell, Quentin Grimes was deemed as untouchable. Quentin Grimes hasn't played more than 10 minutes in a game once this season. Think about that. He's played more than 10 minutes once this season. And yes, you can say that he's injured, or he was injured and missed some time, but according to an article from Fred Katz up at The Athletic, uh, Quentin Grimes even told the media that, like, nah, my time, like, my limits, it has nothing to do with the minutes restriction because of the injury. That like, That's... It is such a weird thing going on with the New York Knicks, and so much of it has to do with personnel decision, with defensive schemes, and all of that points back to one guy, and that would be Tom Thibodeau. I mean, look at this quote. This is from a quote from Fred Katz's article that I'm referencing right now up on The Athletic. This is Evan Fournier, who at the beginning of the season was a regular part of the starting rotation, then got benched for one game, two games for Quentin Grimes. Now Grimes all of a sudden uh, is on the fringes of the rotation. But this is Evan Fournier in that article from Fred Katz. Quote, it's just hard to find a rhythm right now. I think not knowing the rotation, what's coming your way, et cetera, et cetera. I have to do a better job of all that and just being in the moment, being ready for whatever, end quote. That's Evan Fournier uh, quoted in The Athletic. Not knowing the rotation. At this point of the season, not knowing the rotation is something. And it does seem that Tibbs at this point is just throwing things at the wall. And yet, and this speaks to this 271 ATS slide that they're on, the betting market has been pretty high on this team despite the struggles. I mean, if you look through some of the numbers that the Knicks have been laying, I mean, even for example, just a couple of nights ago when they were taking on the Detroit Pistons, you know, the Knicks are getting priced like in the middle of the pack, like Chicago Bulls-esque team when that hasn't been the case. But uh, back on Friday, they closed as a nine-point favorite against Detroit. That game ended up being a push against Oklahoma City at home. They were laying six. Uh, that game, of course, they lost outright 145 to 135. Uh, they opened up only as a one-and-a-half-point underdog against Brooklyn at Barclays. They closed at two-and-a-half. They got blown out, 112-85, to 85, not even close to covering that number. Uh, even look at the game against Boston, which they hosted the Celtics. They closed as a three-and-a-half, four-point underdog. They got smoked, 133-118. to 118. So the market has had this odd respect for the New York Knicks, and yet the Knicks statistically have not been returning that favor. And if you look at a couple of other factors, too, I mean, like dunksandthrees.com, it's a good site that I've been trying to get a little bit more into in terms of their adjusted net ratings and things like that. If you go by dunksandthrees.com and their adjusted net rating, the Knicks um, significantly worse than the Orlando Magic or the Sacramento Kings, teams that they are rated clearly by the betting market as better than. And yet here they are. So far, through albeit a somewhat small sample size still of about 14 games, but consistently being poor through these 14 games, but consistently also by the betting market being priced better than teams like the Orlando Magic. So I'm really interested to see now because the Knicks are about to embark on a West Coast trip. It starts on Tuesday, and it's a tough start. They get Denver and Utah on consecutive nights, so back-to-back, no rest. Then they get to go to Golden State, Phoenix, before they wrap up this road trip in Oklahoma City, a team, of course, as we just saw on Sunday and saw them drop 145 points on them. I'm really interested to see over the course of this road trip, the numbers that this team will be catching 
and what the market does with them as this road trip persists. Because, the, you know, like Denver, Utah, I think those are two teams that right now, and rightfully so, uh, rate better than the New York Knicks, especially Utah game. I'm really interested to see second leg of a back-to-back, what that number looks like. The Jazz will be favored in that game, and the rate by uh, the, the number by which they are favored is going to be pretty fascinating. Yes, the Warriors have struggled mightily, and they continue to do so. They lost to Sacramento the other night, and defensively, their numbers continue to get worse. Their bench has not gotten any better. Uh, but still, when they enter that game, what are they priced as? Remember, Miami went to Golden State, what was it, uh, two weeks ago now, something like that. We're about a seven-and-a-half-point underdog. So we'll see if the Knicks, uh, right? I mean, given my numbers and what we're looking at here from a market rating standpoint, I would expect in the range of, I mean, given the struggles of the Golden State Warriors, probably a price that is similar to that. But we'll see if the market maybe pushes back a little bit more and lowers the rating on Golden State to the point where that gets under like seven, six and a half, maybe even six. Uh, but regardless, how about the Phoenix? We're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns momentarily, but that road game against Phoenix and then, of course, Oklahoma City, the way the market is rating it now, the New York Knicks would be a road favorite against the Oklahoma City Thunder albeit a very slight road favorite, don't think that should be the case uh, given what we've seen from the Oklahoma City Thunder up to this point and really not much of a differential between those two. So really this West Coast road trip, I think is going to be a really good test for the market and seeing if we can push back a little bit on the New York Knicks. Uh, but the other big picture wise here, uh, the market from an adjusted win total standpoint really hasn't budged. You can still get uh, DraftKings offers adjusted win totals right now. You can still get the New York Knicks at 38 and a half, shaded to the under at just minus 135. It's right in line with where they closed. Some spots closer to nine and a half, other spots 40. So we're talking about maybe like a win or a win and a half differential from the opening number. And they're only six and seven, but their statistical profile at this point would point to them being a bottom third team in the NBA. And the, the thing that worries you is if you talked about the issues that we have seen up to this point are issues we have seen over the last couple of seasons and not anomalies. And that would mean that these weaknesses are going to continue to be weaknesses and that this is going to be a team that I think is going to continue to struggle the ways, uh, the ways and the rates at which they have struggled. So Knicks are going to be a team to circle, especially with this tough West Coast road trip coming up. Uh, but Tibbs has not really done a good job here. And I think it is time to maybe start to look around and uh, we'll see exactly what Tibbs' future is. Um, but I would say after getting Jalen Brunson, if this team continues to play under 500 basketball and does not make at least a play in, I would think that this is probably the last season of Tom Thibodeau. All right. With that, let's take our break. Uh, on the other side, we're going to take a look at uh, two awards, MVP and most improved. We're going to tie this into the Phoenix Suns, who continue uh, to perform really well, despite what we thought. And, and let's build on one more thing when it comes to that Oklahoma City squad who find themselves in control of a play-in seed uh, at this portion of the month of November. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. All right, coming back here on Hardwood Handicappers. Uh, I, I think that there has been a team that I, I've been most impressed with so far, mainly because of preseason thoughts of what they were going to be given all the drama around them, uh, is the Phoenix Suns. And I, I thought we talked a little bit of the Suns last week, and that was more from like a news standpoint and 
uh, looking at their injuries and seeing what was going to happen from a total standpoint with them. Uh, by the way, that was a that was a game in which, remember, they took on the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, and that game went flying over the total because Timberwolves didn't have an answer for them. But uh, they did look much worse on the road against Orlando the game after, and that game went under the total. So uh, you're one and one right there, at least with the theory that maybe some of these games are going to start to have lower scores if Chris Paul is going to continue to miss time. Obviously, Cam Johnson is going to miss time. We'll see if that's going to be the case still going forward. But what I wanted to talk about were two guys specifically. And first, I wanted to start with Devin Booker because Devin Booker has been absolutely fantastic. On the season, 26.7 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 5.6 assists. And as you kind of look around at what Phoenix is dealing with, right? Again, we're only two games really in with like the, uh, the mass injuries that they're dealing with. But still, top of the conference in the West, continuing to win games at a very high rate at this point, 8-4 and four, as of Monday. And Devin Booker has been this team's most important piece by a long shot. His efficiency differential, according to Cleaning the Glass, is a plus 20. Again, so he improves his team's net rating by 20 points per 100 possessions when he hits the floor. Their net, their actual net rating when he's on the floor, they outscore opponents by 11.2 points per 100 possessions, an offensive rating of 120.4 with Devin Booker on the floor. They give up 109.2. And while they get better defensively without him out there, they actually give up about 1.1 points fewer per 100 possessions without Devin Booker on the floor. Their offense completely drops off a cliff. How about this? Offensive rating of 99.2 without Devin Booker on the floor for the Phoenix Suns this season. So, again, that's a 120.4 with him on the floor and a 99.2 with him off the floor. So while his scoring numbers, right at like 26.7 points per game, might not match that of Luka or Giannis, his on-court, off-court numbers blow them out of the water. He has been the most valuable player, literally, in the NBA so far for a respective contender. I mean, if you look at Giannis, for example, the efficiency differential for Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks, he improves their net rating by 10.3 points per 100 possessions. So again, Devin Booker doubles that. Luka, in terms of his efficiency differential, plus 5.3. This has been, I think, one of the undervalued or underrated stories uh, in the NBA so far. You know, the Suns just continue to kind of chug along. I guess you can call them a little bit of a boring team because uh, they just don't really take a ton of headlines. But the fact that this team is dealing with an injury to Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder is no longer with the team and is not going to come back despite the injury to Johnson and the fact that they need him. Chris Paul is not only dealing with heel soreness now, uh, but has been non-existent from a scoring standpoint. He's only averaging, I think, like what, 9.4, 9.5 points per game. This has been Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges, who we'll get to momentarily, but if we're talking, if we're looking around the landscape and looking for MVP candidates that are not at the top of the board, that don't have like a two or a four or a five or a seven or a 10 next to their name, it's Devin Booker who can be found at multiple shops at 50 to one. And if you're looking at his profile and comparing some of those numbers with Giannis, with Luca, who, by the way, I don't think actually, I mean, I think Luca is very valuable to his team. I don't think that the Mavericks are going to win enough games for him to be seriously considered, especially when you stack up his resumes with the others by the time we get to the end of the regular season. But if the Suns are going to be what we expect them to be now, given, again, this pace at 12 games, still small sample size. But if they're going to continue to win these games at this pace, Devin Booker is going to continue to do this. And here's the other thing that works in Devin Booker's favor. At the end of the season last year, there was a lot of people who were pushing for Booker to win most valuable player. 
So that is going to be fresh in a lot of voters' minds who believe that Booker should have been either the winner or gotten more respect for that award. And he is going to get that push. We see this all the times in the awards markets. Booker's own coach, for crying out loud, was the benefit of this. All of this ties nicely together, right? We're talking about Suns and Knicks. Well, guess what? Remember, two years ago, who did Monty Williams lose out on coach of the year to? Tom Thibodeau, despite the fact that, by the way, he had more first place votes. This is going to, and then what happened? Monty Williams had pretty much the same season, and he wins going away for coach of the year. You could see something similar here for Devin Booker. And as great as Giannis has been, voters are dumb, and they will look for reasons to find someone else to vote for. And if Devin Booker, when all the smoke clears, is averaging these numbers, has efficiency differential numbers just like this, and the Suns are a top two seed in the Western Conference, he is going to be a legitimate candidate, and he obviously has a better chance at winning this award than just what 50 to 1 would tell you at that price. So I think very much so as you're kind of looking around, and you know, I talked, I think, was it last week or the week before, about kind of slowing down on adding to the awards markets. Uh, but just watching Devin Booker play and seeing some of these numbers, and to see a number like that and say he's only got a 2% chance of winning the award, I think it's much greater than that, and put a little bit on Booker to win MVP. So Keep track of that as we kind of move forward with Booker. And now let's talk about his teammate because Mikhail Bridges has been absolutely tremendous. And we mentioned that, you know, hey, Chris Paul has not really pulled his weight from a scoring standpoint this season. Well, the guy who has is Mikhail Bridges, second leading scorer for the Phoenix Suns. And what I wanted to bring up Mikhail Bridges for was not the award that you would think, right? Because I think a lot of people would go, oh, of course, Mikhail Bridges, right? Defensive player of the year. He's been great, and he has been. He, he's a very good defender. If you're locked the, uh, the on-court, off-court numbers, you know, it, it wouldn't really present it too much in terms of, like, what he does when he's on the floor and how much their uh, defensive efficiency improves by when he's out there on the floor. Uh, but still, um, if you're looking at the overall defensive efficiency when he's out there, 110.2, but their de- the, technically their defensive efficiency gets worse. I'm putting air quotes out there while I'm talking. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring up Mikhail Bridges was not for Defensive Player of the Year. You can find Mikhail Bridges at 241 to win most improved. Now, I have not made this bet yet. I just think this is worth kind of putting out there in conversation. I would love, by the way, if anybody knows or would like to know or have the conversation, would love to hear anybody's thoughts on this. But when you look at what has improved for Devin Booker, let's talk about this first, because what you're really talking about is how much he's improved as an offensive player. When he gets the four, when he hits the four, the Suns, Offensive efficiency improves by 15 points per 100 possessions. It's been he has been a uh, like a shining light through the clouds uh, outside of Devin Booker, who has really needed the running mate. It has been Mikhail Bridges who has offered that. And the best part too is he is doing it efficiently, and he's always been an efficient player. There's really no question about that. And if you look overall at some of his efficiency numbers, nothing really like jumps off the page entirely, but still. He is improving in a lot of these categories. His usage rate is up from 13.7% last year to 14.7%. And with that increased usage, he's more efficient. Points per 100 shot attempts tracked by cleaning the glass, 129.3. It was 126.6 a season ago. He's improving as a passer. His assist rate this season, 11.8%, up 3.5% from his assist rate last year. And even the year before that, he's never really surpassed 8.4% other than his rookie year. That was at 98 but he's assisting on 11.8% of made baskets when he's out there on the floor. Turnover's up just a little bit, but it's not alarming. He's still under 10% in terms of an individual turnover rate. And if you look at some of his numbers from a shooting standpoint, 
Shooting percentage, last year, 36.9% from three. He's a career 37.6% shooter. This year, 44.1% from three-point range on 2.8 three-point attempts per game. His scoring, it's only up one and a half points per game, but still up from 14.2 points per game last season to 15.7. He's taking slightly more shot attempts per game, and he's shooting at a better clip, 55.5%. And from a rebounding standpoint, averaging one uh, rebound more per game, this has been really good for Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Mikhail Bridges has improved greatly when it comes to a lot of his numbers. And when you're talking about, again, most improved, I don't know if he's going to be like front and center when it comes to that award and a lot of people and what they think when it comes to that award, because that has kind of been skewed over the last couple of years. And when you look at the most improved market, uh, guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like these guys are very much improved and they very much deserve to be credited for it. I do wonder if Bridges will be thought of in that light, but there's no denying as I kind of run through those numbers that he has greatly improved. And let's say Chris Paul continues to be the, his ineffective self that he has been up to this point. I think the door would be very much open for people to consider Bridges as a most improved candidate. And by the way, this doesn't come from out of nowhere too. I mean, you, if you listen to uh, the hoop collective, the Brian Windhorst podcast over on ESPN, uh, does it, I think, three times a week, whatever it is. Uh, Windhorse, a guy who has a vote in this market, is infatuated with a guy like Mikhail Bridges. And in fact, Tim Bontemps, his colleague, kind of tying this together, what we're talking about here, a voter again for these awards, brought up Devin Booker, said that he was up there with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And again, this is only one voter as an MVP candidate. But these kind of things matter when you're handicapping these awards. Getting into the minds of some of these voters and hearing what they think it gives you a sense of where these markets might end up. And it does, it, I think it does at least. Uh, it shows, it, it is a useful tool listening to some of these guys and what they think because they are ultimately the ones who are going to decide um, who cashes those tickets at some of these awards markets. So I, I really thought those two were very much worth bringing up. Again, Devin Booker is a bet that I did make to win most valuable player. And Mikael Bridges was just shopping around and looking. You can find him at like 100 to 1 or 150 to 1 to win most improved. But that 240 to 1 price tag that popped up to me, it was over at FanDuel. Uh, that was one that I circled because I thought that was a, that's a number that's kind of off market, right? 240 compared to 150 or 100 to 1. And there's a legitimate case that you can kind of build there for Mikael Bridges uh, to win that award. Now, one more award thing I wanted to bring up really quickly. And then another prop market uh, that I wanted to hit on before we get out of here. We're starting to see now um, what certain guys mean when they're when they're gone. And I do always wonder how the market views these sort of things. Um, but how about some of these numbers? And this has to do with Toronto, uh, who has hit a little bit of a skid right now. But Pascal Siakam, this is from StatMuse. The Raptors with Pascal Siakam, sixth in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, fourth in net rating. Raptors without Siakam, 16th in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating. 25th in net rating. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about a guy like Pascal Siakam when it comes to winning MVP, which I think he's going to have a really hard time doing. I mean, he's having a tremendous season. He's still at 50 to 1 to win the award. And he's not a name that is going to beat out the likes of Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Steph Curry. I'm listing off the top candidates for this award right now. Joel Embiid, heck, even John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, some of these guys that have really made some strides in the MVP race. But if we're talking about, again, just value to a team, uh, this is what I always argue. Like there is, when you look at some of these numbers, 
there are a few guys who can make the argument that they are more valuable to their team than Pascal Siakam. I wrote you those numbers from StatMuse in terms of efficiency differential. Again, the number we use to build the case for Devin Booker. Devin Booker, again, to reiterate, plus 20 in terms of his efficiency differential for cleaning the glass. Pascal Siakam, plus 14.8, a number that is better than, again, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic. Um, He has been the backbone for this Toronto team and obviously being hurt really hurts Toronto's chances. And Toronto has been a little beat up. Preston Sachua, as we talked about the other day, uh, had had to hit the bench because of an injury as well. But Siakam has been absolutely tremendous. He has been very valuable to what the Toronto Raptors have done. And again, that is one market. This is not a bet I've made, but I wanted to point this out for anybody who likes these awards markets. Something worth tracking because if he comes back and the Raptors start to win again, He's going to get a lot more traction in terms of winning this award, especially if, obviously, he keeps up his numbers. Uh, But Siakam has been off to a tremendous start this year despite the injury that he has suffered, and he's in the midst of a career year, and it would would seem that he is a legitimate MVP candidate. But I do wonder if he's going to get the respect that he deserves uh, from voters around the NBA, which is going to be always a little bit of an issue. All right, last thing to hit before we get out of here – Really, because I was looking around trying to find different markets, I think one of the things that I mentioned before is looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder as a team to um, maybe make it to the playoffs, right? I think that this is a team that if you look at the way that they have handled the season, it does seem somewhat clear that they have a commitment to trying to actually win games this season. They have a legitimate candidate to win most improved player in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's having a wildly efficient scoring season. Uh, if you look at it from the standpoint of overall efficiency right now, um, a usage rate of 33.8% would be a career high, but a points per 100 shot attempts, 128.2, that would be a career high for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Offensive rating uh, when he is on the floor, night and day as opposed to when he is off, but on the floor, 115.4. When he is off the floor, a 103.2. Uh, so again, his value to his team and what he has meant to them has been absolutely nuts. Um, really, it, it has led, and I think I've, I've either talked about this or I wrote about this in the guide, or excuse me, in the, uh, the column. It has uh, everything to do with these blown leads or comebacks that the uh, Thunder have found themselves in. But Gilgis Alexander, 31.1 points, 4.4 rebounds, 5.7 assists. Giddy's back, and he's starting to get healthy and dropping triple doubles regularly. So the reason why I bring this all up is, Instead of because I was hunting around and looking for maybe some playable numbers for them to make the playoffs, but instead DraftKings has a nifty little market, Western Conference and Eastern Conference to participate in the play-in tournaments. So again, these are separated by conference. They're index props as well. Uh, but to give you an idea, right for the Eastern Conference, for example, the Chicago Bulls odds on favor to participate in the East play-in tournament at minus 160. Washington Wizards minus 135. Miami Heat minus 105. New York Knicks minus 105. So you can't play the no; it's a it's an index prop. But in the Western Conference, the third choice from the bottom uh, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. DraftKings still has them at 14 to one to participate in the Western Conference play-in, and again, just to participate. So that would mean a floor of just finishing with the 10th seed in the Western Conference, something that right now Oklahoma City is in control of. Now, what the problem is, as you look at the way that the Western Conference is shaking out right now, the teams that are currently inside the top 10, Portland, Denver, Utah, Phoenix, Memphis, Dallas, New Orleans, Los Angeles Clippers, Sacramento Kings, and Oklahoma City Thunder. Two teams that I would think over the course of an 82-game season are going to make their way back into the mix as a top-10 seed would be Minnesota and Golden State. 
Uh, the Lakers are obviously on the fringes there, but I think at this point right now, unless there's some dramatic changes and there are none out there that I think really make them marketably better, I think you can count on the Lakers maybe finishing out there, but still they'll compete for that 10th seed. So there is some room to bump Oklahoma City out here, but you're going to need, I would think, at the very least, one, two of those teams to get bumped out while you stay inside the top 10. But I think this Oklahoma City team, as we look at their profile right now and see what they have done to this point, I think this team is legitimately better. They have shown their ability to defend at this point of the season. Uh, I think they're a legitimately good defensive team, albeit somewhat undersized, and that's been a little bit of a problem for them in a lot of these matchups. From an adjusted net rating standpoint, uh, they still find themselves, and this is, again, courtesy of dunks and threes, in that second tier of teams, and they're just ahead of teams like Sacramento, Orlando, uh, well ahead of a team like the New York Knicks. But I still think that this is probably a team that, is very much worth looking at to have success this year. Now, obviously, as we talk about all the time, the Thunder could pull the rug out from under us and bench everybody and still try to shoot for some of these guys to, to uh, at the top of the draft, I should say, like Victor Wembanyama. But to say at 14-1, to 1, just to participate, just finish with the 10th seed, essentially, finish inside the top 10, uh, that is a market that I had circled because I, I do believe in this Thunder team, and I think they're showing some real growth. They're very well coached. And they are a top 10 team in terms of defensive efficiency. And that is something, at least at this point right now. So uh, we will see if that kind of continues. But that was the last market that I thought really caught my eye as I was looking around uh, during this week. So with that, uh, we'll end it here. We'll have our late week, uh, late week episode coming up. Tom Byrne uh, from SiriusXM Radio is going to join us late in the week. I talked to him earlier today, get his thoughts on how the season has gone so far. That'll be our later week episode. Um, so Tom's going to join us as he's done regularly throughout the uh, lifetime of this podcast. Also, uh, Kelly Bidlin too, Midlin Bidlin. He took last week off. We'll see if we can track him down as well. But before we get out of here, I want to remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe. Those daily columns are always up there at vcin.com slash JVT. And remember, Harvard Handicappers, twice a week. Make sure you listen. We always appreciate it when you do, and we'll talk to you later.